Today we continue our series, I believe, three pillars of the faith, three things that I believe that could potentially help us live to our redemptive potential. And today is an area that all of us will benefit in. Not only will we benefit, but other people will benefit. It's an area that many of us don't give enough attention to. It's an area that many of us kind of are haphazard about it. But when we do this or do these actions in our lives, when this consumes us with our daily lives, we live to our redemptive potential. Let me say this statement. I believe that prayer is the trigger that unlocks the power of God. I believe it is literally the action that takes place where we finally become the people that God wants us to be because we tap into his power and his power then empowers us. In our basement, we have a box that's about three feet high, about two feet wide, and it contains a water slide. That's an inflatable water slide. You can plug it in to 110, and it gets pretty huge, and you can put a water hose to it, and it becomes a slippery uh, water slide. We purchased it 12 years ago on a sabbatical that I was on, my first sabbatical that I took 12 years ago for our kids and for Ann and I to slide down in our backyard. We used it regularly that summer, and on different occasions, we would we bring it out so that kids and myself included can slide down this water slide. But each time I get this box, I see it down in our basement, and I think, it's not worth much sitting in that box. I carry it upstairs, and it's pretty weathered after 12 years. It has duct tape all over it to keep the sides from collapsing. And I bring it outside, and I have to roll it out. It's red and orange and yellow. And if, if I just would just let it lay in the grass in that position, it never performs to what God intended it for, to it for it to be. So I'll go over and I'll hook up a water hose to it and don't turn on the water. And then I'll take the 110 cord that's connected to it, hook it to extension cord, and then I'll hit this power button that's on the supply box. And before you know it, this water slide just begins to inflate in our backyard and it's huge and it's big. And I turn on the water and it performs to what it's supposed to. But it doesn't do it until I turn on the power switch that supplies the air into the actual water slide. And each time I fold that back up and I put it away and I wait for it to dry and I take it back downstairs and I think, that's like a lot of Christians. They got great potential, yet they lay in the basement of their lives, dormant. They're not connected to the source like they could be. They haven't cried out in prayer so that God can empower them with the spirit to be what they want it to be. Many years ago here in uh, Goshen area, Elkhart County, we had a drought. It was pretty bad. In fact, it was so bad we didn't mow for seven to eight weeks. The grass was crispy and, and many of our farmers were in a really, really tough way. So as a church, we are a praying church. We decided that we'd have seasons of prayer. And on one such occasion, we determined that on a certain time of the day, we encourage everyone as part of grace to go out and pray that rain would come. Isaiah was just small then, but he had heard me share a story early on about someone hearing this and doing this. And so we were ready to gather for this prayer event and, and to pray. It was dry. It was 95 degrees. The grass was crispy. When you walked, you could see your footprints in the ground. 
And so we were ready to pray, and Isaiah said, wait a minute, Dad. He went back in the house, and he grabbed an umbrella to take to this prayer event. He was expecting it to rain. We can tap into that same kind of power when we cry out to God. And to make a long story short, it did rain. It rained like it had never rained again, or I think since that day, that week. And God heard our prayers. There is a hopeless situation in the Bible. So bad a man's about to be beheaded. But the church begins to pray. They hit the button and pull the trigger of prayer and it knocks on the door of heaven and God unleashes his power and this man is saved. Turn to Acts chapter 12 and let's look at this account. Acts chapter 12 and we're going to read verses 1 to 6 and ask you to stand as we read this together. Acts chapter 12 verses 1 to 6. Let's look at this account and read it out loud together. Ready, read. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this was met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handed him over to be guarded by the four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. You may have a seat. It's a desperate situation. Let me give you to set this up. The church is 12 years old at this time. So just picture Jesus' resurrection took place. Fast forward 12 years from the resurrection when he was ascended into heaven. This group of people that Acts refers to, they called the early church people of the way. And so if you were to talk with someone on the street, you say, hey, I'm part of the people of the way. They began to grow and they had leaders. These leaders were the early apostles, the followers of Jesus. And so one by one, they would gather. If you look at Acts 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6, you will see where Peter, one of the disciples, preached. And on many occasions, the Bible records that thousands came to Christ. So this church was beginning to flourish because Jesus said was resurrected and they knew that he did what he said he would do, that he was the Messiah. So there was this large following of people that began now to publicly meet for 12 years and gather together as people of the way to exalt Jesus. One of the leaders that was one on the forefront had his head lopped off. The text says that James... The brother of John, if you look back in the book of John, there were two brothers, James and John, and they were called the sons of thunder. In other words, they did some damage for the kingdom of God. James gets beheaded, so Herod now says he liked what happened because the Jews, they celebrated, we got to get rid of all these people of the way because this small fledgling group of followers is growing and Herod said, we got to get rid of him. So he says, let's arrest Peter. By the way, it's his third time to be in jail. 
And earlier, he was released by an angel too. So he grabs him and says, but we'll hold on to after the Passover. So Herod has intentions to kill him. Peter's in prison, and the church begins to pray. And the reason they pray is because prayer is a weapon that wins the war. My hope today is that somehow you begin to see prayer as a weapon and not just a secondary action. Andrew Murray said this in regards to prayer. He said, the man who mobilizes the Christian church to pray will make the greatest contribution to world evangelization in history. And the reason that is, is because when we pray, we bring down the power of God into every situation. The Jews were ready. In verse 4, it says this. Look again. This was Herod. It says, after arresting him, he put Peter in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers. Herod, what's the next word? Intended to bring him out for public trial. Why? Because he was an egotistical leader. He was a narcissist. He wanted to bring attention to himself, and he was saying, look at me, look at me. I got another of those people of the way, another of those leaders, those people that you're following. I'm going to lop his head off too. And so the church, it says in verse 5, began to earnestly pray that God would protect Peter. And by the way, I also believe the primary reason they prayed is because they wanted the mission of the gospel to continue, whether that was through Peter or whomever would step up. I wonder, as I read this this week and prep for this, how many of you need some intentions of others concerning your future, your marriage, your children, your pending case to be reversed. Herod appears to be large and in charge, but the church is about to call out to God, and they're going to say, even though these are his intentions, God, we know that prayer is a weapon, and prayer will bring your power down, and you can reverse this call. It's a hopeless situation if man is looking at this. The ruling on the field has been given The death warrant has been signed and Herod stamped it. It's been notarized and it's just a matter of days till Peter will die. But the church is praying. Most of us don't get what we want because we quit praying. We give up too easily. We give up too soon. And we quit praying right before the miracle happens. Through the New Testament, you'll see this repeat action. Pray without ceasing. And you'll see the persistent widow in Luke chapter 18. Jesus gives a story that continue to come back, continue to come back, continue to pray. Pray without ceasing. Don't give up. When we go to Major League Baseball games as a family, we always carry our baseball gloves with us. And it kind of looks silly unless you know why you're bringing a baseball glove. Even at my age, I like bringing the baseball glove because I bring a baseball glove. We try to get there for BP, which is batting practice, so that in case someone hits a foul ball our way during the game, or if we're in left field or right field or center field, we can catch a home run ball. So we'll go for batting practice. So if you've ever been to a baseball game, it could look really silly if you see a whole group of people and there's five people seated there and they have baseball gloves. There's something that we believe in that moment. We believe the chance exists that a ball is going to come up to us out of these 50,000 people there and we're going to catch it. When Josh was small, about eight years old, we went to a White Sox game in Chicago. They were playing the Seattle Mariners and that time... 
Ken Griffey Jr. played for the Seattle Mariners, and he was just as good there as he was with any team that he played for. So we went to BP. We were out in right field. Josh and I were out there, and I had a glove, and he had a glove, and Ken Griffey was up, and he was just hitting dinger after dinger after dinger, home run after home run to right field. And I said, Josh, we could catch a home run by Ken Griffey. And I remember there was a moment that Ken, he swung and, and hit the ball, and I could see the ball tracking, and there were people in front of me, and Josh was below me, and I was above him, and the ball was coming. I mean, it was a line shot, and I reached up, and I saw Josh reached up. Because I was a section ahead, I reached up higher, and I caught a home run ball, and Josh just looked up, and it's like, But it was a good reminder to me in that moment, had I not been prepared, had I not believed that the chance existed, I would have never prepared myself to receive this ball. It's, it's in my office at home. It's up on my shelf, a home run hit by Ken Griffey. But there is this belief, and this church was praying. They believed that if they prayed, it says they earnestly were praying, that God could deliver Peter. The word earnestly in the Greek takes on the idea of stretching your muscles to their limits. It's the picture of they're praying till they can't pray anymore. They're worn out. They can't lift another pound of weight. It's they are just exhausted, exasperated, but they're not giving up until they've given everything they had for this situation. They were using their weapon of prayer. John Piper said this about prayer. He said, until you know it's a war, you'll never know what prayer is for. I think that are many followers of Jesus who do not realize the power that's available to us in prayer. And that help is ready to come our way. I often tell people this, that... Your prayer is like an AR-15 or an AK-47. And when you pray, you have the ability to shoot down your enemy. Anything that comes against you, you have the ability to rapidly knock it down. Prayer is a weapon that knocks down what's coming against you. And when we realize that and we live in such a way that that's a weapon instead of just a resource that I go to once in a while, most of us have guns. Those of us have guns, we have gun cases, and we have them in, and I would say, in my man cave. And if you went down to what I say is a man cave, I have two gun cases, and there's probably, I think there's 17 rifles and guns. And if you would walk into there, I could show you the guns that I have and what I use them for, but the reality is they are useless to me unless I pull them out of the case. They're just on display and they have no benefit to me whatsoever. And many of us use the weapon of prayer the same way. We put them in the case and we never use them. And, and, but God is saying we should unceasingly pray. We should be persistently praying about everything because it's a weapon that unleashes the power of God. Luke paints this picture of a pretty content Peter too. It says that he's asleep And it says this in verse 6 of chapter 12. He's so asleep. The night before Peter was to bring the trial, Peter was asleep between two soldiers. And it says in verse 7, Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off of Peter's wrist. 
He was so asleep that the angel had literally had to strike him on the head to wake him up. How could you sleep knowing that the next day your head was going to be lopped off? Because even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we can fear no evil because God is with us. And the church was praying. The night before his execution, he was not pacing the cell worrying. He was not filled with anxiety. He was sound asleep, locked and chained to other soldiers while the church was praying. John Piper said this in regards to the weapon of prayer. He said, prayer is the primary, primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness and unbelief. He said, it's not surprising that prayer malfunctions when we try to make it a domestic intercom to call upstairs for more comforts in the den. Prayer for the accomplishment of a wartime mission is what its purpose is. What happened when they prayed? It says, and an angel showed up. And Peter was sleeping. It says, it struck him on the head. Get up, Pete. He was so sound asleep. The angel appeared, why? Because the church was earnestly praying for help. So God sent his helper, who was an angel. Scripture calls him ministering spirits to do his bidding, to do his work. That's what angels do. I just want to give you a quick, short, doctrinal statements about angels. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 to 23, it says that angels are indestructible. They will exist forever. So we can always cry out to them. In 2 Kings 19.35, it says they can do things that humans cannot. It says that the angel of the Lord appeared, which is a manifestation of Jesus. One angel struck down 185,000 soldiers and killed them. That's a bad dude. They crying out to God, the church. And God sends an angel to Peter in the prison, slaps him on the head, and Peter follows him out while the guards are asleep. Scripture says in Psalm 34, 7, that they protect us, but only protect those that fear God and are walking in obedience. Matthew 18.10 says, little children had angels. That's where we get guardian angels. I believe that we do have guardian angels. I believe when we pray out for our kids and you pray out for your kids and you pray out for your spouses and yourself, that God has angels that guard the way and protect us, just like they did with Peter. There is a fixed number of them. They're indestructible. One-third of them were kicked out of heaven because they followed Satan, but two-thirds of them remained. They do the work of the Lord. They do whatever it takes to protect us from the attacks of the enemy. In Daniel chapter 10 and verses 12 to 13, Daniel was crying out for release. Daniel was crying out for prayer. And in the text there, it says that there was this battle in the heavenlies between a demon and an angelic messenger, ministering spirit. It says for 21 days, the answer was sent from God, but there was this battle going on in the heavenlies, in the spirit world, and finally Michael, 
the head of the archangels goes and attacks the demons and finally the answer comes from God right now in our world. There are battles taking place. They are raging in the heavenlies. Ministering spirits, angels, battling against demons. We can cry out to God and ask him to send us help just like Peter received here. So what does that mean to us today when it comes to spiritual warfare? It means that we have an army waiting to come to our rescue if we cry out in prayer. Amen? Amen. See, you know that, don't you? But do you? You can't pray to angels. You don't pray, hey, dear angels, would you come? No, no. We pray to God through Jesus in his name, and then in turn, he sends help our way. Prayer is a weapon for us. And so Peter is receiving the help that he got. Why? Because the church was earnestly praying for him. In any combat zone, praise God for those of you who have served men and women in the military, we have an infantry in any combat zone, war or battle, when an infantry of soldiers is surrounded, you know what they do? They call out on their radios for help from A-10s. Have you ever Googled or watched an A-10 come by and listened to the strafing sound that they leave behind? It's a sound like no other. But someone will be on the background, and if the enemy is advancing, they'll get on the radios, they'll make contact with headquarters, and then they'll make a contact with a pallet of this A-10, and they'll give coordinate points to where they're at. And if you've ever seen it happen, this A-10 will fly in, or A-10s will fly in, this strafing sound, and they'll bomb the ground where the enemy is at so that either the, the infantry can advance or hold their ground. It's an amazing moment. And it happens by crying out, praying out, sending out coordinate points, and immediately A-10s, and explode the ground, and they protect the infantry. I think of that often when I pray for my wife and for my family and for my church and for my friends. I picture in my mind this picture that when I cry out to God, he sends in an A-10 strafing sound of angels and he bombs the enemy and he destroys. Prayer is a weapon. It's probably something like this in the heavenlies. Two, zero, zero, eight, one, County Road 146, New Paris, Indiana. That's what happens when we pray in the heavenlies. That's what can happen on your doorstep and on your home front and on your address and your marriage and your children's lives and your future and your workplace. All you have to do is cry out because prayer is a weapon that unleashes the power of God in your situation. And in the spirit world, no one can stand against our God. So I'm going to give you a chance to cry out. Now, I don't want to hear. 
We're crying out to the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Listen, we're not even metaphorically doing this. You're crying out on behalf of your family and your household. And when you cry out help from God, this is what happens. He sends his A-10 of angels with a strafing sound. You ready to cry out? On the count of three. Let's hear it. One, two, three. 27, 36. Hold, 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 hold it. That's it? Thank you, Benny. Rest of you, you want to cry out? Come on, give, come on, give it your best. What's your, what's your address? No, hold, hold on. Benny, one, two, three, cry out. Here's what I notice. There are some of you that sat there and never opened your mouth. Why do you think that is? Either you don't believe that's true or you don't want to stand on the doorstep of your house and protect it. Do you want to protect your home? Then you cry out to God. Prayer is a weapon. Benny was ready to go. Why? Because he knows that prayer is a weapon. At any given moment of our lives, we have help available to us. So each day that I pray with my wife, Anne, before I leave the home, I pray a prayer of favor, protection, and blessing over our children, our marriage, our church. And visually, I see God sending his angelic messengers with help to protect and guard the way against our spirit enemy called Satan and his demon hordes. We have power through Christ and his army of angels to guard and protect the way. Carl Wallace said this to many years ago. He said, Pastor Jim, I believe that there are angels that protect, and I believe in guardian angels, and I'm sure you've worn out a few in your lifetime. (laughs) (laughs) Luke paints a picture of, of how impossible the escape was, too. Sleeping between two guards, chained down in two spots, guards at the door named Bubba and Bruiser, yet this angel came, and Peter walks out. Listen, the church prayed, and Peter followed. And the call on the field was reversed. A lot of your sports fans and some of you are familiar with this truth. And if you're a coach on the side and you don't like the calling on the field, if you're Bill Belichick, you wear it up your pant leg like this during the game. But you have this red flag that any moment during the game, you can take this red flag and you can challenge the call on the field. And what happens then when you throw the red flag... They go, the referee comes over, and he looks at your situation, and you tell him, I, don't, that, I believe that call needs reverse. It's not a good call. Change the call. So the referee calls to the man in the booth, which is normally New York City, 
and they go and check the play. And the possibility exists when they cry out to the man in the booth that the call on the field can be reversed. The reality is this. We have a chance every day if we see an encounter that's not going our way, if the intentions are against us, we can cry out to God, throw the red flag, we can challenge the call, and God can send help our way. Why was the church praying? Because they believed some truths about prayer. Mark chapter 11 and verse 24 says, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. James 5, 16 says, The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. This church knew that. 1 John three twenty one says, Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we receive anything we ask. We receive anything we ask. We receive anything we ask because we obey his commands. We obey his commands and do what pleases him. 1 John 5, 15 says, And if we know that he hears us, if we know that we, he hears us, whatever we ask, whatever we ask, whatever we ask, we know, we know that we have what we ask of him. There are these truths implanted in Scripture that says this is what is unleashed to us from God, from heaven. He opens up the doors if we pray. Otherwise, it's just a gun case that we have in our man cave. And every once in a while, we say, isn't it great? Look what I have. But if you don't use the weapon, it's useless to you. This church knew something different. It says the church earnestly was praying. And God sent an angel and cleared the way. Have you ever wondered where they learned this from? This church is only 12 years old. Why didn't they just give up and say, he's going to die, it's Herod, he rules everything. If he's dead, he's dead, and why pray? Why did they pray? Let me give you a, a snapshot. Luke wrote the book of Acts, and Luke wrote the book of Luke, empowered by the Spirit. Now, if you were to take those two books and put them together, it'd be one volume. When I read Luke and Acts, I see it as one volume, two books, same author. And the reason they were praying in Acts is because Luke, for lack of better terms, is a book on doctrine about Jesus. So you read Luke to find out what Jesus said and what we should do. It's a doctrinal study of Jesus. It's a gospel account of Jesus. So this church knew about Jesus because they were contemporaries of Jesus. They saw him preach. They, 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 some saw him in the resurrected form. And so they were familiar with the doctrine and his teaching. The book of Acts, if you look on a mobile device, it says, if you scroll down, it says Acts of the Apostles. It doesn't even say Acts. It says Acts of the Apostles. The book of Acts is a book of action, Acts, from knowing what Luke said to do. Same author. And so it's two of them together. And the reason this church is earnestly praying is because they're putting into action what the doctrinal book of Luke said to do. And so they read. They were familiar with Jesus' teaching. And I'm sure when they were gathering, he said, you remember the time that Jesus said this about prayer? And so, what was that? Well, turn to Luke 11. 
they had heard this. Turn there with me, Luke chapter 11. And so someone in there said, hey, you remember when Jesus talked about prayer? They said, yeah, yeah, well, let's do it. What did he say in Luke chapter 11? Luke chapter 11 and verse 5 says this. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door's already locked, can't you tell? And my children are in bed. What are you doing here? I can't get up and give you anything. Verse 8, I tell you, even though Jesus said he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, look, look what it says, yet because of your what, what? What's your Bible say? Shameless audacity. He will surely get up and give you as much as you need. In other words, that dude came at midnight and is asking, who does that? Who's bold enough to ask at midnight? Then Jesus says this. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. We're familiar with that passage, but we're not familiar with the context of it. Verse 10 says, for everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, what? What's your Bible say? Finds, and the one who knocks, what? The door will be open. And then Jesus says this at the end of this talk on prayer. Which of you fathers? He's looking around this circle, and he's pointing out, if your son asks you for a fish, we'll give him a snake instead. Or if he asks for an egg omelet, we'll give him a scorpion If you then, though you are evil, Jesus said, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Let me give you a little cultural context here for a second. Bedtime during this time and in this culture was 7 p.m. It gets light at 6 a.m. and it gets dark at 6 p.m. So Jesus is telling this story in the context of these people went to bed at 7 o'clock, and many, many families often slept together because they were poor. If your friend came knocking at your door at midnight, it took some guts because you were in the midst of dead sleep. And Jesus said, if this man comes at midnight, it takes shameless audacity that he would even knock on your door at 12 o'clock at night. And he asked for three loaves of bread. He asked for three loaves, and that's a lot. That's like three days supply or multiple supply for a family he didn't know. So he says, because of the shameless audacity that your neighbor would ask, this other neighbor gives him three boxes of Lucky Charms and says, get out of here so I can go to sleep. Why? Because of his shameless audacity. Persistence was the key and still is the key. And then he says this. Ask, seek, knock. In fact, we could say it this way. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Let me ask you something. If you're going to someone's house and you want to talk to the owner of that house or the friend of that house or you want to give them something or you want to get something from them, 
and you want to make sure you have a conversation, do you walk up to the doorbell and ring it once and they don't answer and leave? Do you ever walk up to the door and say, I wonder if they're home, and then leave? No, what do you do? If you're like Mike Riley and you're coming to our small group, <laughs> he keeps ringing that doorbell until finally we say, Mike, come on! That's the picture that's here. It says, keep ringing, keep knocking, keep asking, even if it's in the middle of the night. That takes guts to do that. And Jesus said, do that. Oh, he taught that in doctrine. They remember that. So this church is gathered. You remember that story Jesus taught about shamelessly? Let's do it. So what did they do? They got down, stretched their muscles to their limit, and they persistently asked God. We must ask repeatedly. Only then will God open heaven's door. And then he gives this little story about a father and a son. He says, if anyone asks for a fish, are you going to give them a snake if it's your child? If your child asks for an egg, omelet, are you going to give them a scorpion? What father would give them something that is harmful? It's like Josh or Hannah and Isaiah coming to me when they were young. Dad, I'm hungry. And I say, here, here's a bowl of lead-based paint. Eat away. <laughs> no. He says, even though you're evil and you give good gifts... Why wouldn't a good, good father help his kids? Keep knocking. God is moved by our shameless audacity to keep asking. If you've ever been on an Asia's Hope trip, we have a home in Thailand and a home in Cambodia. And our home in Thailand, Benny, you've been there. Our home in Thailand, DS2, and then there's DS1. Often, and not every time, we'll visit DS1. It's other houses of children, and the church is there. On one of our early trips, Josh was with us as a family, and the kids were a lot smaller then, and there are these jackfruit trees all over DS1. The kids love jackfruit. They love eating the jackfruit. And one of the times our team came there, and the kids came running, and they came running to Josh because Josh was taller than them, and they were trying to reach the jackfruit on the tree. They couldn't reach it. So they came to Josh and went like this. In other words, hold me up. So Josh picked them up, and they could reach the fruit, and they were just munching down on this fruit, but they wanted more. But they couldn't reach the top. So a few of the kids realized that everything was out of reach, and so they ran to the base of the tree, and they started shaking the tree. Shaking. Four or five or six or seven, they're shaking this tree. And before you know it, jackfruit was falling everywhere. And the kids came and scooped it up. They were persistent until they got what they wanted. And Jesus is saying, Keep shaking, keep knocking, keep asking, keep ringing the bell with a shameless audacity until the answer comes. Prayer releases God's will in our lives. What often gets overlooked in this account is what happens after this. Look again at Acts chapter 12. 
It says in verse 8, when the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so, wrap your cloak around you and follow, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. Peter followed. He was obedient. The church prayed. Peter followed. It had become such a regular part of his life to follow God that he didn't ask questions. He understood the doctrine, and the doctrine said, follow God. And the acts of the apostles were, just do what Jesus said. And there was a benefit in doing what Jesus said. Verse 11 says this, or verse 10 After Peter got out, he went to the house where the church was praying. In verse 10, they passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it, just like it does at Walmart. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Peter came to himself and was by himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen, lop off my head. It says in verse 12, When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were what? What's it say? Praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance. And a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that she ran back without opening and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. And they said, you're out of your mind, woman. She kept insisting that it was so. They said, it must be his angel. Why? You ever find this strange? Why do they say that? Why do they say it must be his angel? Here's why I believe so. Because I believe they realized the possibility was there that he probably had died. But the reason they were praying wasn't just for Peter. It was so that the gospel would continue and flourish. And so they thought he was dead. And you know what angels do with dead bodies? They carry them to the grave. And so in their mind, they're thinking, wow, that that must be, Pete must, must be dead. Read on, watch what happens next. And it says in verse 16, but Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and descri- described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. I was, shoo. And the reason they told him to be quiet is because the guard was changing shifts in three hours. And then he motioned with his mouth to be quiet. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. Then he left and went for another place. Verse 18 says, in the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards in order that they be executed. There's a reversal on the field. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne high and lifted up to himself and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a God, not a man. 
Then it says, immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, the angel of the Lord struck him down and was eating worms and died. Bam. There it is. Verse 24, the ultimate answer to the prayers came. It didn't look like it was going to happen. Look what answer came. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. Why? Because the church understood the doctrine of Luke and put it into action in the Acts of the Apostles. They followed, they obeyed, and they prayed. And they persistently, earnestly cried out to God. And he sent his help from above. And not only was Peter released, but the mission of the gospel flourished and continued. Why? Because the church prayed. Imagine if you can, your kids are about to leave home. Maybe they're graduating from high school. Imagine your children coming into your house. They're ready to go to college. Maybe they're moving on to a career or job and they're making that transition. Maybe they're getting married and moving on. And suppose you sit them down in front of you and you're giving them your last farewell because they're at home. You know that the season will be different and you rejoice. But the greatest gift that you could ever give your kids in that moment is what's happened before those 18 years, 20 years of life. There's nothing that measures up to what you could give them in this moment. And the greatest gift that you can ever give your children is the gift of repeated, persistent, continual prayer, day after day, hour after hour, month after month, their entire life. And so as they're moving on, you say, hey, by the way, mom and dad, we have a gift for you, and it's the gift of prayer. Suppose, for sake of illustration, you haven't spent every day of your life preparing them for the next ground by praying for protection and favor and blessing. It's something Ann and I have done since the kids have been born every day. But suppose you haven't, and when you come and you say, here's my gift of prayer, and you pull out this bag, and it's a dinky little bag, and say, here's my gift of prayer. Now go flourish. I pray God protects you. But suppose every day you've been laboring and knocking and shaking and asking and pursuing and stretching your arms and muscles over your family and your kids. And when they finally get to a point where they're going out on their own and you say, this is the gift that I want to leave you with. What's up, Dad? What's up, Mom? And then you hear, beep, 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 beep. shaking the tree for them. And you said, this is her gift to you. There is no greater gift than that gift in that moment. 
not too late to start. Prayer is the trigger that unleashes the power of God on you, your family, and the world. Be persistent in it. We love you, God. You are a good God. You've taught us the doctrine in Luke. We've seen the action in Acts. We have two written records of it. May we learn from this fledgling group that was 12 years old. We've had 2,000 years of your faithfulness. May we be people of prayer. And may we see it as a weapon to be used to unleash your power in our lives. Jesus, when you walk into the room, everything changes. In Jesus' name, amen.